0: Happy New Year and welcome to Real Decarbonization, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adamantine Energy. Our series of mini pods accompanies my new book, Real Decarbonization, How Oil and Gas Companies Are Seizing the Low Carbon Future. On today's show, I speak with Paula Gant, President and CEO of GTI Energy. Paula has a B.A. in economics and then received a Ph.D. also in economics from Auburn University. She has held leadership positions at Duke Energy and the American Gas Association, and she served as deputy assistant secretary in the U.S. Department of Energy. Paula became CEO of GTI in July of last year. You can learn more about Paula in our show notes. Now, here's my conversation with Paula Gant Paula Gant, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Good morning,
1: Tisha. It's always a pleasure to have a chance to talk to you.
0: Well, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because real decarbonization makes a case for companies to develop an actionable 10-year real decarbonization strategy. And your work at GTI Energy is really... Important to providing ways in which companies can participate. Can you talk a little bit about where you see GTI Energy helping oil and gas companies over the next 10 years?
1: Very happy to. And Tisha, thank you for Real Decarbonization. It is so timely. And as always, a bold and practical guide for many of us who are trying to sort our way through how we're going to make some pretty serious transitions. And that's, I think, sort of one of the headlines for the year, that we've moved past the question of if we're going to transition energy systems, and we're very firmly into how, and how people in the oil and gas industry, people who operate existing energy systems are going to participate in that. And we know the challenge before us, and this is something that GTI Energy is very focused on, is how we're going to develop, demonstrate at scale, and deploy solutions that enable low-carbon and low-cost energy systems economy-wide. That's a lot packed in there, and this is where we're focused at GTI Energy. This really maps out the intersection of tradition and innovation. How are we going to take what we know, develop new solutions and transition these systems that must be at the end of the day, at the end of the decade and the next decade, lower carbon and lower cost if we're going to be successful. And the way we see our role is really focusing on what's in our DNA, and that's systems thinking, open learning, and collaboration. We know that to get to the net zero goals that our partners, customers, and governments and companies around the world have set, that we're going to need economy wide decarbonization. We're going to need to focus on hard to decarbonize sectors like manufacturing, heavy industry, aviation. Think feedstocks, chemicals, cement, processes, and fuels. We're going to need carbon negative technologies to capture and sequester CO2, but also to put it to use. And really importantly, we're going to need infrastructure to deliver those molecules where we need them, when we need them, well out through mid-century. And this is going to take a lot of innovation, a lot of working together to explore and demonstrate and deploy new ways of doing things. The International Energy Agency's net zero analysis tells us that to get to the almost half of the emissions reductions we need by mid-century, we're going to need to deploy technologies that are currently in the demonstration or prototype phase. That's a lot of demonstration and innovation and learning together. That's gonna take a lot of collaboration. Also, to the point of this is going to require an economy-wide focus, I think it's really interesting to follow the trail that the Inflation Reduction Act is setting out for us. It was passed this fall here in the US. It is by far the biggest climate legislation that we've ever had in this country, world stop, you know, $395 billion. But also, I and mean, think this is really important for our customers and partners that operate existing energy systems to focus on, it maps out the next decade of U.S. industrial policy with a really strong incentives for carbon capture and beginning to put that CO2 to use for clean hydrogen production tax credits for clean fuels production. And it acknowledges very pervasively across this legislation that in order to transition, we're going to need to use existing assets, systems and infrastructure particularly if we look at industry and manufacturing. So that's very exciting for us to think about how we can work with our customers and partners who operate these existing systems and build the solutions that are gonna shape the lower carbon, lower cost energy systems out to mid-century that we see as depending on gases, liquids, and infrastructure.
0: Yeah, Paula, that's such a, gosh, there's like 20 things I want to unpack, but before we do that, could you even take that to the next level of innovation? Like, What are some examples of things GTI is working on specifically that may inform this translating innovation into execution at scale? We're focused
1: on building solutions that leverage gases, liquids, and infrastructure. And in particular, I want to talk about one of our technologies for creating liquid fuels. We have a partnership with Shell for commercializing our IH squared technology, which is a process for converting agricultural waste into lower carbon liquid fuels so sustainable aviation fuel, diesel, and from this process, we get more than 60% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. Shell has built a commercial demonstration facility in Bangalore in India right now that's producing drop-in diesel and sustainable jet fuel, which is really important in energy transition that we have drop-in liquid fuels that can rely on our existing liquid fuels distribution networks. We're also looking at how we can support global decarbonization at a community level. Our cool LPG technology offers a bio LPG solution that uses local bio waste as a feedstock. And from that, we can produce a renewable liquid propane fuel that can be containerized, locally accessible, affordable, and used particularly as a clean cooking fuel in developing countries, so think in Africa and India. So this gives us a locally produced fuel that improves public health and air quality while addressing emissions overall. So very excited about that. I would also note that with regard to hydrogen, such a versatile solution for economy-wide, decarbonization and something that we see you know, many refer to as the swiss army knife if you will of decarbonization solutions and it's important that we're demonstrating with others how to design and build and operate hydrogen systems so one that we're very excited about is our doe's hydrogen at scale in texas and beyond project which is a hydrogen proto hub that's already a couple of years along that includes multiple hydrogen production technologies, such as the conversion of renewable natural gas, wind, and solar to hydrogen. And this is used in a fuel cell for critical power generation applications, so think data center, and also to fuel passenger vehicles, and even for powering fuel cell aerial drones. So we're excited about these demonstrations of how technologies work in the communities where they're going to be needed.
0: That's so interesting. You just named three innovation efforts that I wasn't familiar with, and I thought I was staying really on top of the space. I think it speaks to the breadth and depth of efforts happening across industry. And one thing you said in your opening thoughts that ties into this is that we're going to require systems thinking and open collaboration. And another area that seems to be changing is that oil and gas companies are willing to work together to source their experience and expertise in these kind of unconventional collaborations. I've had the distinct honor of getting to work with both Veritas and the Open Hydrogen Initiative, which are just these cool, one of a kind answers to these system wide questions. I'm wondering, Paula, if you can. Tell our audience a little bit more about these kind of collaborations and how you see them fitting into real decarbonization. So at GTI,
1: we really think of collaboration as core to our identity. We very much value and appreciate that we are able to have the trust of government partners, industry partners, and other stakeholders to come together to experiment and learn together. Often competitors coming together. And we very much treasure and value our ability to do that. And we recognize that requires trust. So in everything we do, we try strive for openness and transparency. And the initiatives that you mentioned are great examples of that. We're very excited about them. So this is the Open Hydrogen Initiative in Veritas. They're examples of how we're working with our customers and partners, energy companies, other invested stakeholders, to develop foundational elements of carbon intensity and methane intensity accounting, which are, as you talk about these toolkits that we're going to need, Tisha, to engage in real decarbonization, this is sort of one of the tools in those kits. Carbon intensity calculation methodologies are foundational for building robust and relied upon carbon accounting, which itself is in turn necessary for informing the decisions that will drive investments. Right now it's really difficult for investors or energy companies or anyone else to make comparisons across technologies, across supply chains. So we're working with our partners to develop some of those tools. The Open Hydrogen Initiative is an open source initiative to develop the fundamental methodologies for calculating the carbon intensity of hydrogen production at the facility level. So depending on the production process, the feedstock, where you are in the world and when you're producing will determine what your greenhouse gas emissions are. And we need ways to use increasingly available information that's coming out of measurement and detection technologies, as well as the actual operation of production processes that to this point have been in demonstration phases in many cases. We need consistent methodologies to turn that information into useful information that investors and regulators can use. And that's what we're doing with the Open Hydrogen Initiative. In short, Think of it as how we're going to move beyond the color wheel and talking about the carbon intensity of hydrogen. We can't make investment decisions based on colors. We need something more granular. So we're very excited about the Open Hydrogen Initiative and the over 30 partners that we have involved in that. Likewise, Veritas is similar. It's a collaborative, open initiative that is working to develop a standardized, science-based, technology-neutral measurement informed approach to calculating and reporting methane emissions from natural gas systems for every segment of the value chain and it has over 30 companies and stakeholders involved and we're learning as we go together and i think that's an important aspect of how we're going to make it through real decarbonization in the time needed we're going to have to learn together we're going to have to experiment together and the more people that we can bring into these collaborative initiatives so that we're all learning from the same experimentation the faster that we'll be able to move
0: there's so much that i love in this conversation because you're describing a kind of humility that people don't associate with our industry but which we get to see in practice every day as we're doing these collaborations that are in uncharted territory and speaking of humility in writing real decarbonization a number of things i thought to be true weren't and I want to just get your thoughts about this, Paula, to keep building on this idea of needing to build trust on behalf of the industry, not just to get a skeptical public to make space for us at the table, but also to, as you said, to drive investments. And now I'm really thinking about that world of external stakeholders quite differently. It used to be that as an, an industry, our job was to to present here's a project or here's a technology and let us know what you think. And then we'll proceed as planned. Now I think we're going to be deploying innovative technologies and new kinds of projects in partnership with the public. And you mentioned, you know, how GTI is a trusted convener, a trusted resource. I think companies are going to have to really aspire to be co-creators with a wide range of stakeholders, from their investors to their local governments to the community members affected. How are you thinking about this idea of co creation with unconventional partners?
1: So interesting to think about it the way that you framed it, Tisha. And it brings to mind a very fundamental aspect. Of the not just oil and gas industry, but the utility industry, you know, electric and gas utilities every one of the companies involved in that space is dealing with a very complex system that's highly engineered that its operation prioritizes safety of its employees and the public and that underpins the quality of life for our communities so it's it's super complex it's super complicated so therefore people spend a lot of time designing and thinking about how to get it right and when you're so involved in doing that you tend to discount or dismiss people from the outside that want to ask questions that are not the right questions or that mm-hmm. seem to not appreciate what you're doing. And that's something for us to really, we're going to have to work at getting beyond that as you're, as you're noting in bringing others into our thinking and so that they understand how committed we are to the same outcomes, low carbon energy systems that are reliable, affordable, secure, safe. And in doing that, it really reflects that There are no solo acts that are gonna be impactful in solving the consequential problems before us. Just like there are no impactful solutions that require only one piece of technology or one type of expert, individual companies or even small groups of companies alone without interacting with their stakeholders are not gonna be able to be impactful in the time period we require. And I would say would be at a competitive disadvantage following a strategy like that. This is a team sport transition at the speed and the scale that we need to make it over the next couple of decades requires all hands on deck working together and sometimes in competition, but finding ways to work together to understand how the solutions that we're developing can be operationalized successfully with greater speed. One of the things that I am passionate about as a hobby is Formula One racing and i love watching the choreography just even in pit stops in knowing that what you see is just the veneer on a very complicated system of hundreds or thousands of people making tens of thousands of decisions to ultimately end up with a driver in a car just extracting that next second of advantage on the track but there's so much behind that driver in the car and there are systems of systems in these teams and in these teams collaborating with one another as well as competing with one another. And I think it's a great analogy for energy system transitions and how much we need to do together to really advance the systems
0: overall. It's so interesting the way that you set that up. We have all these engineers doing really hard things. And then we have a world that now wants to participate from a totally different non-technical framing. And what you're describing, Paula, is this trajectory that oil and gas industry leaders need to be on. That's really like a personal growth, a personal development trajectory to think much more holistically about what success will mean. And that success includes the buy-in of this really wide range of what were before, maybe more like audience members, but now they're team members, you know, on the racetracks. So interesting. So now I want to take that to you, Paula, and ask you, you know, as a leader who just took the helm of a really significant organization doing a lot of different important things, how are you changing as a leader to meet the opportunities and the challenges of this moment? And what drives you to do that?
1: So as we think about trying new things and in changing the very nature of the businesses that we're in, people talk a lot about getting more comfortable with failure, which is really hard for an industry that is programmed to prioritize safety, right? People's lives depend on it. So something that I've been working on with our team and thinking about is is encouraging us to ask new questions and be comfortable not knowing the answers, which is a different variation on that, that we have to move into space that makes us uncomfortable. But recognizing that we have the power and and the responsibility to make sure we're asking the right questions, which are not the same questions that got us where we are now. They're a different set of questions. And often what I talk to our teams about is if you already have the answer to the question and you're looking at energy transition, then you're probably asking the wrong question. So, try again, ask a different question and make space so that we're comfortable not having the answer yet. And then let's work towards the answer. For us, it is a more comfortable way of moving into uncharted territory than talking about failure, if you will.
0: That's so interesting because the act of asking new questions is, well, it's active. And so it creates a space to look for answers instead of a space that you have to have the answer. So I think that's a really important framing for all of us for the work ahead, asking new questions. So I'm going to ask you a a new question for our final question, Paula. What do you see around the bend? What are your thoughts for leaders who are looking up and saying, what's next? What do you think is ahead for us?
1: Referring back up to our brief conversation about the Inflation Reduction Act and how it begins to chart industrial policy something that i think is implicit in what we see in that legislation and that industrial policy as we think about decarbonization for those of us who are operating the systems are helping those who are looking out to mid-century That so much about energy transition is about managing gases whether that's methane or co2 or hydrogen We've spent the last decade or so really focused on electrons and uses that can be electrified it decarbonizing electricity. Looking forward, so much of energy transition is going to be involved with producing gases, moving it around, keeping them from leaking into the atmosphere, ensuring efficient in-use equipment and processes. These are the things that are going to underpin our industrial systems, our economies, We're going to be focused on decarbonizing molecules at the front end, capturing emissions along the way, using those molecules without combusting them, for example, right? Avoiding emissions altogether, pulling those molecules out of the atmosphere if they are emitted, using things like waste to create those molecules. And all of this is going to be a monumental effort. It's going to require disruptive innovations, but- I would draw everyone's attention back to so this is about managing gases, and that's something that everyone in the oil and gas industry knows not something but a lot about. So it's just a matter of not radically turning our heads, but shifting our focus and applying what we know to experimenting and scaling up those technologies. So based on my experience with this in these industries, I'm incredibly optimistic about how we're going to collectively scale up our curiosity to get to the solutions that are needed.
0: I love the picture you're painting. I'm imagining the bird's eye view of the US and the electric transmission system that's gotten so much attention. And then the next layer of attention being on the movement of the molecules that are the lifeblood of our economy. And and frankly, have a lot more scalable potential at this moment for decarbonizing. So I love that imagery you left us with, Paula. And I just wanna thank you so much for your leadership at GTI Energy, and thank you for your leadership within the industry.
1: Thank you, Tisha, and thank you for these conversations that we can all draw upon that help us step back from the urgent and focus on the important over the next decade and what we're gonna do together.
0: That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Paula for joining me. You know what I found really interesting? This idea, once again, that we come from an industry of engineers and scientists with this focus on really perfection (laughs) and safety. And now... Embarking upon real decarbonization requires new, softer skills to engage with this broader range of participants and stakeholders. So it's a new dual challenge of engineering and engagement. I'd like to know what you think and what you found interesting, so please take a moment to rate us. You can learn more about my book, Real Decarbonization, at realdecarbonization.com. And to learn more about our work at Adamantine, check out energythinks.com. Thanks to Adan Rubio for making the Real Decarbonization Podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler. wishing you and yours for this entire year happiness, prosperity, and good health.